Welcome to another episode of Always Hope, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario, and grateful to have you with me today. Let's admit it, the sermon is tricky business, and discerning a lifelong vocation is downright difficult. Knowing how to listen to God's will, sifting through our desires, and ultimately having the confidence to make a decision is no small task. Knowing what to listen to in prayer and how to respond appropriately is the focus of today's episode. Joining me via Skype is Father Jim Rafferty, the Director of Communication and Mission at the Institute of Priestly Formation in Omaha, Nebraska. If one could claim the title, Discerner Extraordinaire, Father Rafferty would be pretty close to it. Father Rafferty has walked with many folks through the vocational discernment, and I highly value his perspective on this topic. I had the pleasure of speaking with him about the need to see love as the central motivating role in any vocational call the difficulty of living with desire, why choosing the hardest option is not always good discernment, advice for individuals who leave the seminary or religious life, and what parents can do to aid their children's discernment. It's another great show. Thanks for listening. And after it's done, please head on over to faithandmarriage.org to listen to other episodes, read some great blogs, or watch my friend Jason Angelette's At The Heart YouTube videos. We're doing some pretty cool things on the website and invite you to check them out. All right, let's get into the show. Father Jim Rafferty, thank you for joining me on the Always Hope podcast. I'm delighted. Thank you. How are you this doing today? This is a new today? venture for me too. Oh, I'm doing well. Praise God. You haven't, haven't done many interviews? I, t- I haven't, no. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful that, that you could join me uh, and, and, and having this conversation uh, this morning. It's a privilege, thanks. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. How, how long have you been uh, guiding people in their discernment? Um, how long have you been a priest? And, and tell me some of the, the work that you do for the Institute for Priestly Formation. Well, thank you. I've been a priest for uh, 24 years. I was ordained a priest of the Diocese of Scranton in Pennsylvania in 1994, and uh, I have spent much of the years there in uh, educational work. I was a high school chaplain for uh, five years, then a college chaplain for six years, and then I did some graduate studies, taught in seminary for a little bit, and uh, did vocation work. Um, I've been involved with the Institute for Priestly Formation during the summers since 2003, and then I moved here to Omaha to work full-time with the Institute uh, in 2013. So I'm, I'm permanently uh, placed here with the Institute. I've been incarnated into the Archdiocese of Omaha, and um, I work year-round with the work of IPF in serving priests and seminarians in their spiritual lives. So we do a large program for seminarians in the summer. We have 176 seminarians who come from around the country to uh, Creighton University in Omaha for a nine-week program in spirituality and uh, discernment. And concurrently with that are smaller programs uh, like the spiritual exercises for those priests or seminarians who want to do the Ignatian 30-day retreat and some other seminars that happen during the summer too. So it's pretty full. And then during the school year, we travel a fair amount and uh, do additional programs for priests uh, outside of Omaha. We have a training program in spiritual direction for priests that happens uh, uh, three times a year for the participants. We have two sections, so we go six times a year to be with them. So it's, it's a great privilege. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to accompany priests and seminarians in their vocation and in their, their path of holiness and in closeness to the Lord. Amen. That's a, a lot of good work that you do there. Thank you for your ministry. Uh, I've been I've been blessed to to help, and and you've invited me to to be up at IPF for the last I guess three of the last four summers with my family. Um, so it's been a privilege being an adjunct faculty member and, and teaching there over the summers and, and walking with the men. So the 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 focus I guess for the show and really where it comes out of is, um, yeah, I'm a counselor. Uh, you're a spiritual director, and. Over the years, both in my work when I worked in the seminary and seminary formation, and even accompanying couples on, who are discerning marriage or individuals who are discerning their state in life before they even make formal decisions related to marriage or, or dating or, or seminary, 
um, this question comes up often. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what is God calling me to do? And I'm really excited that our conversation today can bless the listeners as a back and forth exchange between, you know, from my experience as a counselor and your experience as a spiritual director, and that hopefully wherever people are in their own discernment, that whatever we offer them can be of of service. Um, So the, the first question I'd like to ask you, Father Jim, really is just, in general, in the years that you've been guiding people and walking with them in their discernment, what what are just some some basic best practices for trying to discern what God's will is in our life? Well, I think it's um, very important to approach the the question of a, a life choice of a a life vocation from a posture of faith and and relationship. When I was uh, new to vocation work, I was in a conversation with a woman who was helping to plan an event for young people. And she said to me, as I was new in the office, um, you know, Father, when I was a little girl, I I thought about going to the convent, uh, becoming a sister. And uh, she was very serious. Uh, This captivated her imagination when she was young uh, in a Catholic school. And then she said, then I met this guy. And I fell head over heels for him. And uh, some people might interpret that, that, well, God might have been calling her to be a religious sister, but then she fell in love, and so she chose that path instead of what God wanted. Hmm. Um, But the heart of the story is that it was the falling in love that revealed her vocation to be a spouse, a mother, a grandmother, and to be of service in the church in a very particular way as a laywoman. But the, the, the vocational discernment was only really clear in the, the aspect of falling in love. And so it's important to, as, as people think about their vocational discernment, they think about a life choice. Um, it is the love that is already in them that is moving them in the direction of what that's going to look like in their lives. And of course, that can only be really um, perceived and responded to in faith and in, an, in, in, a, in a personal knowledge of, of how good God is and how much he wants to bless the person, rather than something just to, to figure out. Um, when I was working with uh, men who were considering going to the seminary, uh, oftentimes their friends didn't quite understand why they would do that. Um, very often, the the immediate um, response when one of the guys would tell his friends he was thinking about applying to the seminary, the friend responded, well, you know, you can't get married. Um, and so it, it wasn't kind of a selfish response on the part of friends, but because their vocation was to be a married man and a father, because God had already placed in those friends a love for that vocation, it was hard for them to understand how a man could be happy without being a, a husband and a father. Right. And yet the guy who is discerning seminary, he, he, he does taste a joy, a happiness, a fulfillment in that, that particular path because God has placed in him a love for his vocation that is distinct from his friends. And so there, there are lots of good reasons to be married and lots of good reasons to be a priest or a religious. Um, but in the end, someone can drive themselves crazy trying to weigh the good reasons against each other. That's correct. That it's, it's a particular form of, of, of living, of exercising love that is specific to the person. And that kind of has to be awakened it has to be recognized and, and then embraced. And that can take a long period of time, which is why the friendship with the Lord, the deepening trust in him, the experience of his, his consolation, his peace, his love, his support is so important along the way. Uh, but the vocation is first and foremost a response to Jesus, a way of offering oneself in love uh, in the world as a manifestation of Jesus' own love. This is wonderful. Thank, thank you for sharing all of that, because I think what you said so many beautiful things, but but focusing on the question of, of relationship and love and desire mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. often I, I've heard people say, well, you know, the, I guess the tension sometimes that I hear is, am I supposed to follow my desires or am I supposed to do what's hardest? 
as if <laughs> as if as if they're 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 separate terms, right? Yes. They're like I'm called yes. to the I'm called to be a seminarian because that's a harder path, or so it's thought, right? That then yes. this is this is going to be the bigger sacrifice, and so I'm going to make the sacrifice to God because this is what He wants. All the while, there isn't any sort of that affective kind of connection or movement of the heart that that you spoke about, and so it's more kind oh. of like a I'm going to white knuckle it. This is what I'm supposed to do, or even worse. Out of some some scrupulous misunderstanding of what holiness is. Yes. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about that? Any, any thoughts or any guidance to to somebody in that situation? Sure. I'm just going to give that person your phone number, and they can start <laughs> counseling right away. Um, Only if they're in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so choosing the harder thing is is really not discernment. That in the in the field of discernment, there are two um, personalities operating on us, and we we categorize them in the language of discernment as the good spirit and the bad spirit. The good spirit being the Holy Spirit, life of virtue, angels, the witness of the saints, those people who love us, and the bad spirit being Satan, demons, temptation, our fallen nature, the sin of the world. And so um, if someone just simply decides in a rational kind of context that the harder thing must be the holiest, that kind of um, black and white decision is, is actually devoid of relationship. Mm. It's as if God is on the summit and I have to get myself to the summit to meet God. Um, which is not the path of the incarnation in which Jesus comes to be with us and to offer himself to us. So um, no vocation path can, can be embraced outside of love. It's a commitment of the whole person into a way of life as a Christian um, in an expression of committed love. Um, and that love is, is seen, again, as I'm repeating myself, but is seen as the response to the goodness and fidelity of Jesus Christ. Right. This is the way he is inviting me to exercise the love that he has placed in me during my time on earth. So it's important that a person in discernment, a man or a woman, look at his or her desires. But desires cover a whole spectrum, Mm -hmm. and they're not always compatible. So the man who feels called to be a a priest might also have a deep desire for a wife and, and children of his own. Um. And those desires can be held in intention. Well, that's the time of discernment. And that period of uncertainty is the deeper leaning into the uh, relationship with the Lord, deeper trust in him, deeper experience of what God's heart is like for that individual person. But also um, testing and and being aware of of their gifts and their personality and um, their disposition in the world. Um, so that their person, both affectively and and uh, maturely, and in terms of their gifts, their capabilities, corresponds to the the direction they feel they're being drawn by the Lord. Right. Um, With without getting too much into what you said earlier, kind of a, a an analysis of like here's what I can do and, and here's how it matches up. Like this is the sermon's more than just a personality inventory or some sort of occupational interest scale, which those things are certainly helpful as a, as a counselor. I've used them and I know that they're helpful, but, but only at the service of what you said about relationship and being able to then trust in God's providence that sometimes God wants us to hold attention of both of these questions. If I'm a young man or a young woman who's caught between celibacy or, or marriage, because both seem very attractive there's a place of of fidelity that God's asking of us in the midst of the tension. And, and in that place of patience, we're also growing in the virtue of, of temperance. And the virtue of temperance, as I understand it, is, is really the virtue that allows us to sift through those various desires that, that seem incompatible so that in the sifting and in that, and in that, that faithfulness and in that, that, that release, God's full desire will, will be heard more clearly within our heart. Yes. Yes. Desire is, is a beautiful thing, and it's really central to the spiritual life for, for every Christian. Uh, but desire is um, 
um, not easy. There, there, there are a couple of senses here. One is that God gives us desires that we can never possibly achieve for ourselves. What, what do you mean by that? God gives us desires to be a certain kind of priest or for yourself a certain kind of husband and, and father that you could never live up to yourself humanly. Mm-hmm. And by having those desires, we are then moved, if we're willing to tolerate them, to become men of prayer. Right. That we turn to the Lord in poverty and in humility and faith, confident faith, asking God to fulfill in us and for us the desires that he has placed within us. So that we know him as the one who gives us all blessings, rather than trying to grasp for ourselves or to accomplish by ourselves. So that in, in, in living discernment into our vocation and living in the vocation, we, we are committed to being very, very dependent on the Lord. And, and sometimes uh, when people have very deep and noble desires, but feel as if all of that accomplishment is on themselves, then they can become quite discouraged, uh, quite dissatisfied with themselves, and, and live into a very distorted image of what God is like. Rather than seeing the Father as a loving Father who, who is desperately thirsting for us to ask bold and, and significant things from him, as as gift so sometimes we grow up into mature life and responsibility and forget how to be children before the father right the second part of desire that is uh, difficult is that um desire is is like a hunger a thirst it is a discomfort um it, it, it can register as an ache or a longing that can be difficult to bear and so desire is very holy and necessary and good, but it can also be painful. And in our lives as Christian, God permits us to live in the ache and longing of that as a way of embracing love. If a man desires to be, to be a husband and a father, he desires to have a wife, and he, he gets out of college, he gets a job, he's settling into um, a kind of um, stability in life, but his, his life still feels empty. He, he really longs to have a wife, but he may not have met that woman who's going to be his wife until he's 30 or, or 35 even. And so being able to carry that desire and to suffer it, to endure it in fidelity to the bride he hasn't met yet. You know, that word, I've often reflected on that, that we say longing and we, we say it with such romance, but, but man, it's a hard word. It's not like it's a holy shortening, right? You know, or, or holy quick fix, right? Yes. It's, it's a holy yes. longing uh, that that yes. means that, it, that it, that's going to take some time. And, yes. and I have, I've had a number of women in, in my practice. You talked about the man. But I've seen it. I've seen that certainly. But particularly with with Catholic circles, I have to say it's like five to one. You know, female to men, um, if not even more, um, in terms of women in their thirties who who haven't been able to find Mister Right. And they've done the work of discernment. They've done the work of prayer. They've done the work of really sifting their desires. And, and everything points towards marriage, but they mm-hmm. are just not. They haven't been able to find the right guy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a hard, that's a hard place to be. Yes, this is very vulnerable, and um, and it's kind of suffering, isn't it? It's like a couple also who who wants to have a child. Correct. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a married it's a couple. They want to have a baby, and they haven't conceived, and yet they have such love together for a child that God has not yet given them. Right. So this this uh, it's important to see desire not just as I want something. Um, but actually to see desire as a movement of the heart, I love something so much, or I love someone so much that it hurts. Right. It's not just a thing that's being pursued. It really is a a form of uh, beauty and, and, um, fulfillment in relationship. So thinking about that person, um, and if she's in prayer and she's going to the Lord and, and, and saying her prayers, what, what counsel, what advice would be the best for her with, with those desires, with that, with that ache, with that pain? 
Well, a couple of things come to mind um, uh, in no particular order. Sure. One is to uh, really ask the father to, to lead her to the, the man she desires to marry. And even to ask uh, the father uh, what kind of husband she, she is waiting on. Um, so that when they encounter each other, uh, she, she will, it will resonate in her heart that this man is the fulfillment of her prayer to the father. Another thing is um, to pray for her future husband that God would um, deepen his faith, that God would, would strengthen his heart, that God would place in him a desire to be um, the kind of husband and father that she's seeking. Um, and the third thing is, which is very important, is that she would confess her grief. She would confess the, the, the struggle of waiting that she would let God the Father meet her in that heartache of wanting so much to, to move into marriage, um, but not having the opportunity, and that she would not bear that uh, grief on her own. Right. right. Just kind of thinking that God is, well, God's doing his thing, he's working out his plan, so I just had to be patient. But no, as, as a daughter uh, facing God the Father with the, the trust of Jesus, the confidence of Jesus, and um, exposing that tender spot of her heart that is is, um, is is wounded by this longing that has not yet been satisfied. So she's being cared for by a loving father in the midst of this um, unforeseen, unknown marriage, in the midst of the waiting. The, yes. the, the, the one thing that I would add as, as a counselor is, is even in that prayer, asking or being honest with herself, is, is she doing enough to be seen? Is she doing enough to put herself in circumstances where she would meet Mr. Right? Or is she mm -hmm. just only going to work and only hanging out with her girlfriends and the opportunities to, to meet men appropriately, right? You know, yes. are, it, it are far and few between. Um, yes. And so is there, is there something more that in, with courage being able to do um, to, to put herself in a situation or, or to, you know, to, you know, what I'm trying to say here, find yes. Yes, with, yes. With, with respect, right. Not going to the bar, right. Where, where all the sleazy guys are, of course, I'm not, mm -hmm. I want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying, but, mm -hmm. uh, but the groups that she's involved in um, the social networks that she's on, even, even online, is she, is she open to, talking to guys online or, or those type of services that are available, those, that type of practical as well, you know, connected with the Lord, obviously, and knowing what's appropriate and what, what's an appropriate stretch for her um, would be the, the, the only other piece that I would add to that. I'm taking a quick break from my interview with Father Jim Rafferty from the Institute of Priestly Formation to encourage you to follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. By following or liking my page, you'll be the first to receive notices when their new blog post or a new episode of Always Hope are up. I also have some pretty cool inspirational quotes for you, and thanks to the marketing help from Let's Develop.tv. Um, shifting gears here to, to the priesthood. It's no, uh, I guess, surprise to anybody listening that the church is in the midst of a crisis, um, mm -hmm. in, in a crisis of, of clergy. Um, what, what are you hearing from guys who are discerning the priesthood or, or I guess what, what did, what challenges does discerning the priesthood in a time of crisis propose? Or if I'm asking the question correctly. I, I don't know that I have uh, a great deal of uh, data to, uh, to share around that in terms of uh, conversations over the past uh, few months. Um, I, I would say very generically that in the midst of the, the hurt and the sorrow that fills the church over what has happened and how it's been addressed, um, many, many uh, good people um, feel an enormous amount of grief that that there is a a deep wound in our family and that um 
young priests and those in discernment, uh, they want to help. They want to be able to serve and love other people in a way that brings healing and, and not harm. And um, as in 2002, uh, a number of men stepped forward wanting to, to make a difference, wanting to offer themselves as, um, as hope and uh, a sacrifice for the healing of others. Which is, which is great and noble. I, I have heard sometimes, though, that guys may take that a, a, a step forward where it becomes unhealthy in, in that, well, I'm going to be the one who solves the problem. Or, or you take it too, too much of a bravado that you take on your, yourself that I'm going to be the priest who's going to be you know, the, the best of, of the best, um, which can be a temptation for, 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 for men who, who desire to fix and who desire to, to be good images. Yeah, that's always a risk, and and that is certainly the case even before the current crisis was exposed. Um, so vocation has to be tested. Uh, can this uh, individual man who is seeking priesthood, can he speak um, meaningfully and with humility about his own relationship with the Lord, his own offering of himself, whatever God asks, and uh, his own awareness of his strengths and his limitations? Um Otherwise, he, he can really set himself up for a fall uh, in, in terms of a great deal of, of pride and self-reliance and, and very likely potential burnout. Um, so all of that is, is part of the formation process in, in terms of the man's maturity, his understanding of what he can and cannot do, um, and his dedication to being of service to others uh, in a way that can be lived humanly. This is a, uh, a risk, a temptation for, for all priests, especially in the current age, to want to and try to live inhumanly and um, to think that the, uh, uh, to, to try to live beyond their own humanity, beyond their own needs physically and emotionally and relationally um, in a way that um, may work fine in the Avengers movies, but doesn't quite translate into real life and in, in pastoral situations. Now, I know you and I have different opinions about superhero movies, so, so I'm going I'm to ignore that statement. <laughs> I'll let it slide. Yes. I'll let it slide. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement that, um, that masculinity isn't uh, supposed to be just as bravado machismo, but it is, as we've been discussing about relationship, and out of that relationship, then offering your strength in the way that God's asking of it. Um, mm -hmm. So resisting that temptation then to put the burden on yourself to have to be the solution, all right, to the problem. Mm -hmm. Now, it, I I have kind of a, a, a soft spot in my heart for um, for guys who leave the seminary um, or, or women who leave religious life after maybe a few years of, of the sermon and having been in, in community. Um, and, and some of it, I guess, really comes from my, my own experience. My, I, I never entered the seminary, um, but my brother, uh, was a, was a seminarian for three years. And, and after he left the seminary, I just saw, he just, he just kind of, just kind of struggled. He, he took a couple years just to kind of find his footing again. Um, mm. and, and, and I guess the, as I understood it, not just in his life, but in others who have counseled and seen along the way that sometimes you, you have this clear identity of being a novice or you have this clear identity of being a seminarian. And, and even if you don't quite know that you're going to go all the way, so to speak, towards final vows or, or towards priesthood, um, there's still some clarity in, in who you are. And then when you don't feel that or, or the desire shifts and then, and then you step out, um, for some guys or women, it can be clear that they step out and they know exactly what they're going to do. They have a job lined up. They're going to start dating somebody and they kind of move on with their life. But for some people, they they kind of step into this place of, well, man, Lord, I thought this was the plan. I thought I was moving in this direction. But now, otherwise, because I discerned out or, or I was dismissed or or whatever, I, I, I'm i kind of just stuck or, or floating and, and not quite sure what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know. I, I found that they can be can be challenging for for people sometimes. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or any input that you'd like to offer there. Sure, yeah, it's a, a very um, it's it's a not uncommon uh, situation for people, um, and it, it is a, an important um, 
reorienting of life around the, the new direction. Um, it, we, we, it could be quite a struggle to be a college student and to end up changing your major two or three times during college or uh, to, to leave college and to start a graduate program and then kind of become dissatisfied with that and, and move on to something else or as an adult to change uh, career paths um, in life. But the, the vocation question uh, is different than simply making a job move. And so uh, for one who's been in formation for a number of years, it really is like being engaged that, that uh, a, a, a soon-to-be-married person who's engaged, there really is a deep personal investment of the whole man or of the whole woman into this, this trajectory. And so the, the man or woman may not have taken vows yet or have been ordained yet, um, but the interior commitment is, is uh, handed over to that path, um, not simply as... as the, the activity they will occupy my time once I am ordained or consecrated, but as the very structure of the relationships I will have for the rest of life. So the man in seminary for several years is already leaning into the celibate commitment for life. He is envisioning himself um, not just as doing certain things, but having relationships uh, configured in a certain way, being available to others in a certain way, being of service, um, not just again as a job, but as a disposition of heart in, in a certain way. Um, so when that is is let go, then the, the whole vision of the future has to be reformulated. Again, not just in terms of housing or friendships or, or job, but in terms of a, a kind of identity, um, no one's identity is ever seminarian or novice. Those are transitional points, and thank God they end. <laughs> right. Start and they end. <laughs> right. um, um, but but priesthood, like husband, is is more than just doing certain things, but is a kind of identity that fashions relationships in a certain way. Um, so the person who leaves religious life, the convent, or who leaves seminary um, is in a, a stage, a phase of uh, looking deeper into themselves, into their faith and their, their friendships to recognize what, what is the identity that endures here. What is the, um, and, and so it, it would be uh, rather um, psychologically immature if, if the man just identifies himself with being a seminarian. Or if the woman just identifies herself with being a novice, like that's not the whole person. But but you can imagine there is this trajectory they are on in which they see themselves being in the world in a certain way, uh, a certain way of life that is relational and affective and um, um, that, that fits with their desires. And as that is unraveled, then, then something has to take its place. How will relationships be configured? Where will be that stability of the way of exercising love in the world? Um, what is the identity that God is fashioning as um, being a self-gift, being a self-offering? That can take a good deal of time. And, and that transition is not just uh, some psychological immaturity. It is really a, a kind of self-discovery in faith, uh, knowing one's goodness, knowing one is blessed, knowing what other people love in that person, but still looking for that something more that becomes the, the way of self-giving that is specific to this person. Um, um, Jesus was, was 30 years in Nazareth before he set out and started preaching. And yet that, that desire to share what he had received from God was already in him, already burning in him um, as he was serving as a carpenter and living in Nazareth. It doesn't mean his identity as a man, as the child of Mary and Joseph changed uh, radically, but there is a something more that opens up when he lets go of carpentry and goes out to preach and to heal and to gather others. Um, 
So that can be kind of confounding, really disorienting, not to have that sense of where is my life going. Um, and, and it seems kind of appropriate that someone would have to take some time to let the new uh, grace, the new vision open up. Because um, it, it um, again, not being melodramatic, but there's a, there's a kind of death involved with that. Right. You know, there, there, there was an attachment to this, this um, trajectory of life and being for others in this particular way. And so there's a, a period of grief. Um, and and also uh, um, awaiting on the the new the new hope the new vision to dawn. And so stepping back into that that place of tension that that place of of grief and it and and again I think one thing that you've been saying throughout this whole episode so far that I th- hope is important for people to hear is that the emotional life is is important in the spiritual life and we're not supposed to just be these robots or just go through the prayers, but that God wants to enter into our affect. And, mm-hmm. and if we're, if we are in the circumstance where we've left religious life or seminary and we thought we kind of had this clear objectory objective, kind of had this clear trajectory of what I thought my life was going to be. And then the shift happens. And now I'm in this period of, of unsettling this period of, uh, just confusion and, Right, trying to wrestle with the sadness of leaving, but not quite sure what the next step is going to be, and so kind of in this limbo state of life, that God sure. wants to enter into that limbo state also. Yes, yes. You can think of a man or woman who's engaged to be married, and they've been planning their wedding for a year, and it's it's four months away, and one of them breaks it off, and and that's a, a real grief. It's a confusion. It's a loss, and it takes time then to. Um, move back into what is possible, what is is God desiring. Um, Right. Because the person has been invested in that that engagement. And and then doing the process also of sifting what was good and what wasn't in that period. Why why did it end? And and maybe it ended because it just was wrong from the get-go. Maybe there were certain factors that played a role in that. And so I would encourage anybody to take that time to be able to reflect and say, okay, well, where was the Lord in that? And what was good and what wasn't and, and allowing that sifting to occur in your heart. Because like any breakup, if, if we use that analogy, um, if you've been dating somebody for a few years and you guys break up, sometimes, it, I mean, it's the right thing to do sometimes, right? To, to break up. And it yes. can, even if it's painful, even, even if it's hard, but then doing kind of a, so the lack of a better, like a relational autopsy, if I could say that, right? Kind of going, going back and thinking about well, what happened, um, that, that that can be very helpful as you move forward with whatever the next step is or or being better prepared for the, yeah, the, the next venture in, in life. Sure, sure. And um, certainly the Lord can call someone into, sem- into seminary or into novitiate, um, without that person being ordained or, or taking vows. Correct. And that time of their life has great value in God's plan for them, though it, it may not end in, in what they had envisioned at the beginning. Yeah, I think that point's really important for, for not yes. just for the person, but also for families to be aware of that. Because uh, yes. sometimes they feel like they've let their family down or they've yes. let their community down or because they've been, their parish has been praying for them every Sunday that they feel like they can't leave because they're going to let these people down. Yes. Yes, that's a bad reason to be ordained. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's also a bad reason to get married. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Just because I'm trying to make my family happy. Yeah, that's, yes. that's, that's absolutely yes, right. Yes. Uh, but you were going to say something. I think I interrupted you. You know, living in the mystery of our own, of our own lives, that we, we don't ultimately have control. We don't uh, necessarily see the plan that God has for us. And to be able to move with the Lord in faith and with honesty with Him in, in the midst of the circumstances as they unfold. Um, so it's very important that someone who, who withdraws from seminary or novitiate um, is not self-critical, um, or even if they're asked to leave, um, it may not be what they want, but they don't just collapse into self-criticism or, or uh, self-accusation, but really look for the presence of God as a loving and faithful father and have hope and confidence in him 
to continue to orchestrate their own personal sanctity and the good and blessing of others through them. Um, so you're saying trusting in Providence, even, even when it doesn't look like things are working out for you? Yes, yes. Um, not simply blind trust. Well, God has a plan, so I just have to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps. But, but really to, to, um, to leave life open to God, to, to, to move us and form us the way that um, he knows will in, increase our, our, our holiness, our generosity, our love, even if it's not what we expected. This is Dr. Mario, and you're listening to Always Hope, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I hope that you're enjoying this episode in my conversation with Father Rafferty. I pray that it's a blessing to you and your own vocational discernment. I, I find that that last statement is, is hard for me, both individually and my own sense of wanting to have control over my life, but then mm-hmm. even compounded that as a parent where I have my four sons and really realizing, like like really understanding that their life is their own. Yes. And that I'm just their dad and I'm here to provide, to protect, to love them, to give them lessons that they're gonna need. But at the end of the day, my life, it's not my job to control them. Um, mm-hmm. It's not my job to, to dictate for them what they're supposed to do in their life, but I'm supposed mm-hmm. to give them the tools that they're gonna need to be able to hear and discern and then to live the life that God is asking of them. And so having a sort of hands-off approach to give them the freedom, I'll give my input when they ask it. And and hopefully we have that that trust and that relationship that they do want to receive the advice that I would give. But at the end of the day, it's it's their life. Um, and and I, that can become really hard for, for vocational discernment. Um, I'll, share, I'll share a funny story here. Um, my oldest son, Gabriel, uh, last fall, we had some storms that came through uh, Louisiana and there was some flooding in some of our, our counties. Um, and so the seminary took a day and we went out to one of the parishes and and went into the neighborhood and just started doing the, the work of, you know, cleaning up the houses and cutting the drywall that where the flooding occurred and, and doing some of that, that kind of, um, you know, cleanup. Uh, work. So we're, we're out there with half the seminary at this one house and I parked mm-hmm. the car and Gabriel's probably 13 at the time. And, and so we parked the car and then we start walking out. And as we're walking out, there's probably a car full of, of seminarians. And immediately they go, oh, is this a, this a future seminarian, right? And so my, my boys would, would always get that question, you know, as they, as they, because when I worked at the seminary, they were always like, oh, Mark, Dr. Sacasa's house is like a little pre-seminary. Uh, <laughs> and, and so they said, uh, so is this, so this going to be one of our future seminarians? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. We'll just see what, what the Lord wants. Um, whatever he wants, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then I turned to them and I said, well, you know, while we're on the topic, we don't really know about any of you guys either. And uh, we'll see what the Lord wants. <laughs> um, just to say, hey, guys, like, you know, back off a little bit. Like, we, I don't want to put any sure. sort of pressure on him. But I know some guys sure. do feel the pressure from their family or even as parents who, who are well-intentioned and we love our kids and we want them to be holy. What, what, what can we do to aid our kids in their vocational discernment? I think the uh, most important role of a parent for their child's vocation is simply the love, the love that they have for their child. And, and to know that you and God are raising your, your children together. That, that your love for your children and God's love for your children are not in opposition. And, and so the, the freedom to enter into the vulnerability of God and, and his own um, sensitive, woundable heart around your children, just as you can feel that. So, of course, you only want what is best for your children. You only want them to be happy, to thrive, to, 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 to reach heaven. And, and God wants that even more than you do. So to, to really um, trust in the love that God has placed in you and that he lives with you in, in love for your children. And that, that God is not uh, an antagonist here 
who who has plans for your 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 children that would be terrible and painful and and, and so forth. Um, and then the other uh, area for parents and children, uh, sometimes parents can pressure their children to be priests or religious. Sometimes they can be really, really opposed to the whole idea of uh, a vocation in the church. Um, so what's really important uh, now more than ever is that parents and their children can have honest conversation in a way that out of, say, out of love for the child, the parent can confirm or disconfirm some of what the child is presenting. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Sure. So, so um, because the love of the parent for the child and God's love for the child are are one, that the, the, the parent and, and and God Himself are loving this human being with the same love, that they are together in that then God can use, uh, not in some you know, utilitarian way, but, but, but God can speak to the child through the parent, that, that deep love, that deep availability of dedication to the, the child is an opening for the Holy Spirit to speak to the child um, in a way that blesses. So I was thinking about uh, seminary, Dawson Seminary, when I was in high school, and my parents were not at all open to that possibility as uh, a decision when I was 18. Okay. Um, and, and really receiving that as a blessing, that it was their love for me, not contradicting God's plan, um, or somehow uh, trying to be uh, confining, um, but it was a part of, of the discernment. Um, it's a part of, so the child needs to be challenged if there's some kind of bravado that he's just going to go and do the harder thing because it's the harder thing and this must be what God wants. The parent is one of the voices that says, son, sit down, you're being stupid. Um, <laughs> let me tell you about when I fell in love with your mother and, and you just realized that you're just being stupid and you, you're going to hit a wall and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to be confrontational, mm-hmm. but there is a way as a parent to say things that kids don't want to hear with love and to shelter them, protect them when they don't want to be protected. Um, God does this for us all the time, too. Um, and especially for a, a dad and his son, that the dad has to help his son to learn how to live in desires that are not yet fulfilled without trying to take in, without the, the son trying to take control or work it out or, or, or solve the problem or get what he wants. But the, 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 the dad as a mature man has to teach his son has to pass on to him how to bear desire as a man with, without collapsing under the, the tension and 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 really to exercise faith in that. Now that's presuming um, that the the dad himself has knows how to do that. Or that he's it does. It done does. His, done his own work, you know, with struggles yeah. in life without falling into cynicism or despondency in, in middle age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes life just puts us there, whether we like it or not. You know, we did. <laughs> Wisdom does come. I have no idea what you're talking um, about, Father. <laughs> I'm sure some of my listeners do. <laughs> um, but I think that the the place there of, again, back to the parent helping the child is to say, in general, parenting, what you're basically saying is do the job of being a parent, even in the even a vocational discernment, which is giving the kid appropriate freedoms, but also knowing when to challenge their thinking when they're thinking really is uh, off off base a little bit because as mm-hmm. parents we're we're really just a few steps down the path uh, than our kids if we really hope and expect that our kids become mature adults that at some point they will be brothers and sisters in Christ and they will be mm-hmm. equals and peers and that's the goal right mm-hmm. that doesn't happen mm-hmm. when they're eight or nine they're not our friends when they're eight or nine but as adults and as they're becoming teenagers and, and as they're becoming young adults, um, we are a few steps down the path that we can offer some advice, some some guidance, while not stifling again their their freedom, um, and that that's a discernment question for any parent. 
Um, but then conversely for the child, even if the child is in discernment and the parents aren't necessarily open to the idea of entering the seminary, there, there's a place of, of praying and saying, okay, well, that's information. I have to trust that my parents are giving me something here that maybe mm-hmm. maybe I do need to go to college to college for a couple of years. Maybe, maybe that mm-hmm. is what's best. Maybe this desire does need to be tested. And, and if it doesn't go away in a couple of years, well then, um, you know, I, I, I could, the seminary is always there. Um, and so mm-hmm. not, not always reacting against them with, with some vitriol. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I will say, I know that somebody you and I have spoken about often uh, in previous conversations, Falter, F- Father Walter Chizik, and my understanding with his own vocational story, who's a Jesuit priest, um, it, it, is that he, his parents didn't want him to enter the Jesuits. And he was so stubborn that in the middle of the night, he packed his bags and took the bus down to New York and just started banging on the door to enter into the, into the, into the novitiate. So, yes, as, as, a vocation, as a former vocation director, I'm not going to endorse that particular path of the servant in today's age. Yes. Yeah, that, um, was, that was certainly in the, in the 20s or 30s, um, yes. different, different, different era. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but God calls all types of men to the priesthood, is I guess my point here. <laughs> sure, sure. And it is important for uh, a young person, especially high school and college age, to see the vocation question as a family discernment. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to idealize families. Uh, some families are more or less practicing. Some families may, may not be Catholic and so forth. It's, it's, it's also very personal. But um, if it is something that a young person is pursuing exclusive of his parents and family, then a question is, well, why is that? Um, And there may be good reasons why the family isn't connected to that decision he's pursuing. Um, But it's important that it be explored, even just humanly. Um, So so what was the next conversation like between Walter Chizik and his parents? Um, what, what, What was Christmas like? You know, th- there had to have been some reconciliation there yes, rather than just right. running away to be a priest. Right. right. Um, so so uh, it is important that the man look at uh, and and take responsibility in terms of the, the family relationships and um, how is he moving in this infidelity to God as he perceives God speaking to him, but also infidelity to his, his family. Right. And so recognizing that your discernment certainly is it's your own life, but that God has given you your family to help you in this. And and don't be afraid to avail yourself to whatever guidance that they want to offer as well and, yes. and allowing it because it's going to affect them too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, not in an ideal sense of family life, um, but just always trying to find that balance between what is it that I want and, and what what's good for the family. Mm-hmm. Um well, you know, Father Jim, as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation here, is there is there any anything you would like to say about IPF? Any any plug or um, good work that you guys are doing? Anything else that you would like to offer to the listeners? Well, thank you. It's a great opportunity. Thank you. Um, we're approaching our 25th anniversary as an institute, uh, serving diocesan priests and seminarians in their spiritual lives. Um, the grace of accompanying uh, priests is. Uh, an awesome privilege and being aware of how God stirs in their lives, how he invites them into a greater relationship has been a great blessing for me. Um, it's a great help to us that uh, the, the church as a whole would be praying for this particular mission that um, priests in the midst of their activity of service to others uh, benefit greatly from being accompanied themselves. Um, having the support and the encouragement and the fraternity of someone who walks with them attending in some way to their spiritual needs, to their spiritual desires, um, because we are a church. And so that doesn't just happen because uh, a priest is committed to praying, but, but he needs the accompaniment of another to support him and to um, help him to continue to go deeper and deeper in that relationship. So very much ask for prayers for our work, for our mission, for um, God to continue to raise up those priests and lay people who assist uh, with what we do 
We have a, a large number of instructors, as you know, who, who make this work possible. Um, we're a very small staff in Omaha and really rely upon uh, lots of generous people, uh, lay people and priests to, to come in to help. And uh, we couldn't possibly do what we do without that commitment of many, many people. So I'm very grateful for prayer and intercession um, around our, our work that, that God would continue to unfold it as he desires and help us to be faithful to what he is uh, inviting us to participate in with him. Um, we really want to stay humble and faithful to what he's doing in our midst. Um, so that's our request. So Amen. Real powerful prayer. Amen. Absolutely. Well, you, you got it from my end, certainly. I've, I've, I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. I've, every time I've gone, it's been a, a blessing to not just me, but my kids. Um, and so certainly invite all the listeners to, to pray for IPF, but, uh, but also to, to visit the website uh, to learn more about it. There will be a, a link to that in the descriptions below uh, for the podcast. Great. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Father Jim, final question that, that I ask all my guests, um, what gives you hope? Oh, um, somebody just asked me that recently. And uh, what I was drawn back to is, um, you know, these, these have been uh, just very uh, painful um, months in the church. And uh, not so much for me personally, you know, I, uh, I haven't been affected directly by the, the, the things that priests have done. But knowing that there are so many people who have been harmed by priests, and that um, uh, people just seeing a priest can be kind of suspicious, you know, is, is, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Um, so I, I, I'm very conscious of, of the number of, of people who have been just seriously harmed by the, the sinful and criminal choices of priests over many years. Um, and I, I help out in a parish here in Omaha on Sundays when I'm not traveling. It was a particular grace um, one Sunday morning when I arrived there and I was um, getting things set up in the sanctuary. It was uh, well before mass time. And uh, as I was um, moving back and forth, someone stopped me and said, Father, can I, can I go to confession? And it wasn't uh, the normal time of confession. So I was very happy to help. And as that was finishing, someone else was right there at the door to to come in and speak in, in confession. And... Um, it was a great blessing to my own heart as a priest to be able to to serve and to uh, minister to others in their vulnerability, even in light of all that has been reported in the news and and all of the hurt that is so evident. Um, it was it was a great um, grace that the Lord permitted me to to um, to be sought um, and invited to, to to share myself as a priest. And so um, what, what gives me hope is the, um, the desires of the church for, for good priests to, 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 to minister to them uh, as Jesus desires. And, and I think that that desire is still in many, many people in the church and that we are all striving together in prayer and in activity to... Um, to want the church to have good good priests who are, are available and loving and self-sacrificing for the people God places before them, the way that you love and care for your, your own sons. Um, so that was a, a beautiful counterweight to, to all the, the hard things in the news that are appropriately hard and there's no glossing over that. Um, but the hope in terms of the, the church as a body continuing to seek Jesus, to welcome Jesus, to want, to go closer to Jesus. So I was very inspired by the, the hearts of those people that I served. Amen. Amen. Thank you for, for sharing that. Well, thank you, Father Jim, for joining me on the show. Uh, we had a great conversation and I pray that it, that you, you have a great day and, and that this episode may be a blessing to, to those who listen to it. Thanks, Mario. I appreciate it. And uh, we do have some, uh, um, writing some some publications on a website that some of your listeners might enjoy that's not specifically for priests but also for other people on their own prayer lives are those resources there that they purchase or, or yes, there the, are like the, a, the, there's a resource page that has both publications that can be purchased but also talks and uh, 
uh, other things that are accessible on the website, meditations and so forth. Wonderful. Well, so just look for resources. Sounds great. Well, I encourage people right. to, to do that. Okay. Wonderful. God bless. Thank you, Mario. God bless you too. Thanks for listening to the show. As a takeaway from this episode, I put together a short list of questions that you can take to prayer when discerning a lifelong vocation. The majority of the questions come right out of this interview with Father Rafferty. It is a great single-sheet PDF that can help you focus your thoughts and know what questions to ask the Lord. It is a free download available on faithandmarriage.org backslash alwayshope. A direct link is also in the show description. All right. If you heard nothing else in this episode, please remember that your vocation is always an invitation by God to love as He loves. It's an invitation to love His people the way that He does. If you're not sure where God is calling you, be patient and bring your confusion to the Lord. Rest and trust that He will make things clear in due time. You have a mission and purpose in life and have the courage to go live it. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe and please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Ratings and reviews make podcast algorithms happy. God bless and be good.